Nehemiah is an interesting book in the Bible because it is a book about building. And I often joke around, some of you may have heard me say, uh, you know, whenever you hear a preacher preach from Nehemiah, there's a building campaign about to happen. So get ready to make a pledge, get ready to dig deep. Um, that's not the case today. We're not in a building drive. But, but often, uh, sometimes you'll hear from the book of Nehemiah because it is about building. And, and you, know, uh, you know, Matthew or Paul, they, they don't talk about, you know, building a church building. They talk about building a church with people. But also, Nehemiah is, uh, it is a, 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 such an interesting thing. It's ancient, and yet it's completely relevant because it's all about building a wall. Any of y'all heard anything about building a wall in the last few years? Uh, Nehemiah is all about building a wall. But there's some differences, and we need to talk about that. We need to, before we read this passage... And our focus today is going to become, be about overcoming obstacles, overcoming this opposition that you get as you try to live and do right. And even when you're trying to live and do right, there's going to be people oppose you, people make fun of you, people come against you. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not always the reason for troubles. Sometimes we do wrong, right? Sometimes we mess up and, and people are against us because of that. But even when we do right, and, and it's probably more disturbing, right? When you're like, I'm trying to do the right thing and still I'm getting shaded, still I'm getting attacked. We're going to read um, from Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 in just a second. But before we do that, I want us to think about um, the culture, the land. And why walls were so important in that day. And I, let me share with you uh, my own experience. Um, not in Old Testament times. I, I'm not that old. But, but I have been over to the Holy Land. And I have been able. I, I got this chance about 15 years ago. It's amazing. Amazing. If you ever get a chance, uh, go for it. But one of the things that I thought was so interesting is. Israel's this really small country in, in terms of land mass. In fact, it just hit me. I'm going to have to look up a comparison because you know how Pennsylvania County, we're like this big, the biggest county land mass wise in Virginia. Well, there they are, a whole nation, and they're tiny, you know. Um, and so what you think is, well, you're going to see, you know, Every single place in the whole thing used up. There's a home everywhere you go. That's what you think you would see because a bunch of people in a little bit of space. But that's not really what it's like. Now, when you get to the cities, whether it's Tel Aviv and a very modern city or, or you go to Jerusalem, the old city, there's people upon people upon people, you know, everywhere. And then there's some smaller villages that you see, small towns. But here's what you don't see. This is coming from a Mississippi boy, okay? Country boy. I think here's what life is like in America. When you drive through the country, and it, it may be a place that you think this is, this is out in the sticks. But even so, you'll see a house. And then you might see, you know, a mile or two of pastures or pine trees or whatever. And then you see somebody else's house and, you know, so on and so forth. It's not like that there. There's cities. There's towns and there's farmland, but nobody lives 
outside of a town or a city. Nobody has their nice little country estate out there. At least I never saw it. And so I asked our guide, who was a, a, a native Israeli, I said, what, what is this? Why do they do this? And it goes back to the ancient times. And that no matter what you did, <laughs> you surrounded yourself with other people for the sake of protection, for the sake of safety. You might hate your neighbor's guts, and yet you trust them to stand beside you arm to arm when the raiders, when the marauders, when these evil folks want to come and, and take you out and, and do things against you. You live, you put up with whatever because you need to, to survive. And the ancient peoples all would live together to prevent these raiders from coming through and stealing or killing them. And so here's the situation we find ourselves in, in the history, in the story of God's work. We've gone through all the way from him creating a nation through um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Them going into 400 years of living in Egypt and becoming slaves. Him calling them out, sending them to the land. They were there. God blessed them. Eventually they said, but we want a king. And even though God was meant to be their ultimate leader, their, their great and high king, and he sent them judges when they needed it, they said, no, everybody else has a king. So he gave them kings. Started off okay with Saul, really good with David and Solomon. And from there on, it was kind of downhill. The kingdom split, and both sides do wrong in God's eyes. Both sides start worshiping idols, start committing violence. They, they, they start pushing down the poor and treating them unjustly. And, and, and all of these things, and God warns them over and over through the prophets. Don't do it, don't do it, or judgment is coming. And judgment finally comes first on the northern kingdom, the, the part of uh, Israel that kept the name Israel because they still had most of the tribes. First, Assyria came and took them away. And they never, most of those folks never came back. In fact, Assyria also brought in people from a different nation to come in and to intermingle with those folks and to get mixed up to destroy their Jewish heritage. And uh, the closest thing, what you could say is the descendants of those people today would be what's called Samaritans. And, and I say today because literally today, there's not very many of them left, but they're not just in the Bible. There's a few hundred actual Samaritans still alive on the planet today. And they're the folks that were intermingled with these other peoples. The southern kingdom, which took on the name of Judah because it was the largest tribe, in that section, it lasted a little longer, but God's judgment fell on them as well. And, and they were overtaken. Uh, first, they were just defeated, and then they kept being stubborn and not doing what God told them to. So eventually, this exile that he promised, it, it happened. And they were taken away, and they had to live in a foreign land for 70 years. Finally... God allows them, when the time is right, God allows the people to move, to come back. Those who really want to come back. Some of them got used to living in other places and said, hey, you know, Babylon's okay with me. But they make this move back. 
And first, a king says, you can go back, and I'll help you go back, and you can rebuild your temple. So you can really worship God and resurrect, bring back to life this temple that where you used to worship him. And that was great. And that, that's where a couple of folks, including a guy named Ezra, helped in that process. But a little bit later, they said, you know, this is great that we can worship, that we have our temple back and we're back living where we are. But we are absolutely helpless. The wall that was destroyed through all of these wars, it, it's still broken down. There's still huge gaps. And, and anybody could come in overnight and take everything we have away. So we need to start rebuilding this wall. We need to protect ourselves from those who would do us harm. And that's basically, that's the stage is, is set for Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 9. When Sanballat, this was a local leader who was not one of, of God's people, not one of the Jews. When he heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. And then in chapter 4, you get this prayer from God's people. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And that prayer finishes. And verse 6, it can, the story continues. Then we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all of their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come up and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Let's pray for a moment. God, we pray that you take these words from this ancient book that you give us, this library of your word and, and the book of Nehemiah and what you did to keep your people going and say, and, and Lord, we pray that although we live in a much different world, many different situations, God, you're the same and we still face troubles and trials and difficulties in this life. Father, help us to, to know how we should live, how we can face what we face and do it in a way that honors you. And God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Overcoming opposition. Let's think about how we face these troubles that we face in life. 
The first trouble they faced was simply verbal. It was simply, there wasn't a rock thrown. There wasn't a, a sword that was swung. It was simply words. And we all know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me right wrong. We know that in life, words are some of the most powerful things there are. In fact, the Bible tells us that words can give life. Words can cause death. Words can encourage and lift up, and words can destroy and bring down. And so, you know, when I talk about overcoming opposition, I didn't use the word persecution because sometimes uh, there's various levels of persecution, but sometimes we immediately jump to, hey, th their life is literally in danger, and that's bad. But guess what? It's no fun either. <laughs> When you are simply accosted by slanderous, accusing words when you're simply trying to do what's right. And that was, that was kind of level one here. And the attack of these people around who, they did not like God's people. They wanted them to be weak. They wanted them to be their doormat. They wanted to say, hey, yeah, they're here, but we have our boot on their necks. We can stop them. We can take what we want anytime we want. And, and it's kind of like an abuser when someone starts to break free from that abuse. And if you've ever seen anyone in that kind of situation, boy, they get angry. And they get upset because their power and their control starts to slip away. And, and, and they can go nuts. And that's kind of these people who, who had been around Israel and they had been dominating them. And they don't like to see Israel coming back. And, and so they start with words. They start by making fun. They, they start by, you? Rebuild a wall? You can't rebuild a wall. Hey, if a squirrel runs the top, or they said fox. But imagine, if a bird lands on that fence, on that gate, it'll fall over. You don't have the ability to do it. And on and on they go, and they mock them. What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? And maybe you've had someone approach you that way somewhere in life when you've been trying to do the right thing and you were feeling pretty good about it, and all of a sudden someone says, what do you think you're doing? Who gave you authority? <laughs> what? what makes you think you're so special? Because there's folks like that. <laughs> As my son called them when he was in elementary school, meanie, beanie, weenie. Okay, there are these meanie, beanie, weenies out there. Or we can say there's wicked and evil people out there who delight in breaking your spirit. They delight in tearing down anyone who's trying to build something up. And so... They mock them. They make fun of them. In other places in Nehemiah, they, they start lying about them and gossiping and, and trying to start a thing. that Oh, they, they're trying to bust out of the empire. So they start trying to discourage them through their words and also through, through lies, you know, through gossip, all of this stuff. And the first thing that you see Nehemiah and these folks doing 
is that when this comes their way, they begin to pray passionately. Pray passionately. And when I say pray passionately rather than just say pray, I want you to understand that Christianity is not a religion about faking it till you make it. (laughs) It's not a religion uh, about paste on a smile. Christianity does not teach us to stick our head in the sand and, and pretend that problems don't exist. We serve a God who is real to us, and he desires that men and women be real with him in the very same manner. And you look at the prayers in the Bible, the really high and mighty ones, those are coming from the folks that Jesus said, "Mm -mm, they don't have it. It is the heartfelt prayer of men and women, boys and girls, who know that they desperately need God's help. And and so here they are, and they're calling out to God, (laughs) and, and they say, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on them. In other words, God, we we can't do anything about what they're saying. That's pretty true today. Most of the time, I mean, you can try to take somebody to court, but most of the time, you, you have no control over people who slander, who libel, who talk bad about you, spread rumors about you. And so, but there is someone that we can call out to. And... and He prays and and the people pray and they say, God, please, please take care of this. Help us with this. Because not only did they know, they knew that these words were lies. But guess what? Again, there's power in words. And, and, and sometimes even when we identify a lie on the surface, it's, it's sunk in. And so when someone tells you, you're not good enough. Or who do you think you are? Or you'll never amount to anything. And in your head, you know that is a lie, that is wrong. And yet, you've internalized it in your spirit. And, and, and you're desperately trying to get over it. And this is where you go to God and say, God, I want to claim your truth. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. If it's something you're doing that is in God's way, this is where you say, God, I know you've commanded me. I know you've led me to do this. Help me to be humble about it. There's an old hymn that I love. I think the title of it is, I Must Tell Jesus. But it says, I must tell Jesus all of my sorrows or troubles, whatever word it is. And it says, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I love that old hymn. Our prayers are not to get God's attention and then act like he's some person we're trying to impress by making up a false statement. No, he is our heavenly father and we call out to him about pains and hurts that we can't tell anybody else about. We can tell Jesus. And so when you come across opposition, when you're trying to live right and do right, the very first thing you can do is just call out in passionate prayer to Jesus. The second thing is, once you've done that, is to serve faithfully. Keep on serving faithfully. You've taken the hit. Your reputation has taken the hit. Your feelings have been hurt. Stuff is going around about you. You, you, You're not forgetting those words that are said. 
But you know what? What you have done is you've given it to the Lord. You've done what the Apostle Paul tells us is that in er- don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, what do we do? We lift these things up to God. We turn them over to Him. And we give our burdens to Him. And that's where the Bible says, then He's going to supply the peace that passes all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we've responded to worldly, (laughs) to sinful words, accusations that we can't change their minds, but we can talk to the one who really counts. Because it doesn't matter so much. I mean, all of us like a good reputation, but ultimately what matters is what he thinks of us. That's what matters. So we turn the stuff over to him. And, and then what we've got to do is say, okay, God, I've, I've given this to you, what's out of my control. But what's in my control is that you've given me a task. You've given me a job to do. You, you've given me, Lord, this is what I know you've called me to do. And, and I don't know what that is for you, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, whether that's, uh, you know, going and working at a homeless shelter, whether that is, you know, taking up some kind of position of leadership, whether inside or outside the church. Maybe it's a, a thing you do and nobody sees it. And then the one time someone does see it, they question you. They say, what are you doing? We pray, tell Jesus about it, and then we continue to serve faithfully. Over and over, the Bible uses a a little phrase, and I love this phrase. Two words, stand firm. Stand firm. Once you've done everything else you can do, stand firm. Do not let those who are far from God, who are trying to stop God's work, do not give in to what they say and let it stop you. Let it discourage you. Keep on keeping on. Keep on serving. Keep on loving even when someone throws it back in your face. Keep on giving even when people aren't grateful. Keep on serving even when no one sees the results or give you credit. Because again, there's only one that really matters. And he sees and he rewards. And so when we face this kind of opposition, we got to keep on doing what's right. Move forward in faith. Even when we're hurting. Even when we're struggling. Move forward in faith as we've gone to God and we've given this to him. And the third thing I want to talk about is acting wisely. Let's go back down to to verse 6. The insults come, they pray to God, and they keep working. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. Man, they didn't let themselves be thrown off task. Other translations say they had a mind for the work. 
In other words, there was a conviction, there was a strength of belief in them that this is what God called them to do. And, and a little bit of discouragement, a little bit of gossip was not going to get them off track. They kept doing it. And, you know, we'd like to think, okay, battle won. They, they did bad things to me. I prayed about it. I kept going. They're going to quit and give up and everything works out. <laughs> Sometimes it does. But sometimes those meanie, beanie, weenies get a little meanier, right? Sometimes those hateful people get more hateful because they fully expected you to fail. They expected you to give in to their gossip and their slander and their discouragement. And it drives them nuts when God continues to bless you. When you are not stopped and you are not destroyed, but you continue to weather the storm, not because you're prideful about how amazing you are, but because you cling to the God you serve and you humbly keep serving, it drives some people nuts. <laughs> Others at this point will have said, wow, maybe I was wrong. Maybe there's something about this God you serve. But sometimes like in this case, those who are dead set against you, they're still going to be dead set against you. And so these guys who were, they started with words, but now they actually begin to form conspiracies. They start to make threats about what they're going to do. They start to make plans about how they're going to take them out because they don't like it. The, the wall is now halfway rebuilt. All the gaps, all the broken down places are up at least halfway and they're like, okay, we thought we were just going to discourage them, but now we're going to get serious. Here's, here's where the interesting thing comes in, where so many people kind of miss out in, in, in Christianity because some people have this belief that like there's a, there's a faith, prayer, or action. But you know those things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, all throughout the Bible, we are taught to believe and to trust and to pray and to act and to have faith. And faith does not mean that, that we just ignore whatever's happening around us. Look, I, several years ago, I was able to, um, to go to Haiti on a mission trip. Uh, a friend of mine has this you could still go. You can't even go anymore. But it was kind of a dangerous country, but not quite as dangerous back then. And, and we went, and, and we got there to this compound, and it was a compound. And I'm like, whoa, this is interesting, because here's the, the missionary ground. I mean, there's some the gardens and the this and the that and the other. But, but inside, there was this little compound, and, I mean, it had high walls. It had Constantine wire all across the top. There were a couple of lookout towers and, and some, some armed guards that were there. And, and I was like, okay, um, tell me, missionary, about, <laughs> tell me about this. And I said, well, you know, there's a lot of good people around here, but there's some gangs that come through. And he said there was a group, and he, he mentioned from a different country, and, and, and they personally had some very pacifistic type of beliefs, like, and, and they just kind of said, well, um, we don't need all that. We'll, we'll just pray and we'll, we'll be okay. And sadly, they were attacked by these gangs and people were killed. 
and women were assaulted and their whole missionary effort in the nation of Haiti went away. Now, they had, um, they had their thoughts about this. But here's the thing. To trust God does not mean that you say, oh, God, I've prayed, I've trusted you. Now I am exempt from any responsibility to do anything. I've just thrown it to you. We give our burdens to God, not our responsibilities. Because God has created works for us to do. He has plans for us. One of the most famous um, scriptures in the whole Bible about the fact that we're totally saved by grace, not by anything we can do. Uh, the Bible tells us that it is not of man. It is grace, not of man, so that nobody can boast. All right, so super clear. You get saved by faith alone, not by doing something. But then the very next verse, when you go on, it says that we were created for good works. We were God's masterpiece, created for the works that he made for us. In other words, we don't get saved. We don't become a Christian by doing anything. But once we become a Christian, we continue to have the faith that saved us. But now we pair that faith with obedience to God. And so faith and works, they are not exclusive. They are not opposites. They're not things that cannot go to, together. In fact, we're constantly called upon to use our faith to act for Jesus Christ, to build his kingdom, knowing that if it wasn't God's power in us, everything would fall flat. But yet, just because God said do it, doesn't mean we sit back and we don't do anything. In Hebrews 11, which is the great story of faith, every single verse, every single person that's mentioned, it talks about what they did, their actions by their faith. By faith, Abraham did this. <laughs> by faith, Moses did this. And on and on and on. And so here are the people of God. They have been mocked. Okay? They have been talked about. And they prayed. All right? And then they said, okay, let's get back to work. And, and, and they go back to work. But here comes escalation. Here comes step number two. Now they catch wind. They're about to be physically attacked. Do they say, okay, well, let's just have another prayer meeting? No, they did some more praying, but they added something to that prayer. They said, you know what? In addition to that prayer, uh, we're going to have a guard now. We're going to post somebody out there to watch. And if you read the rest of the chapter, we didn't read all of it. It even escalated beyond that to where they said, okay. Now that we're more sure of what they're trying to do and how they're trying to get us, not only do we have some guards posted to keep a watch, uh, we're going to, you know, work with one. Here's the bricks that we're going to put up with one hand and the other hand is going to be on a sword. And they split their time between guarding against these attacks and between building the wall, between doing what God had called them to do. You see, Acting wisely is what God tells us to do throughout his word, especially in the book of Proverbs. 
There are some things God directly tells us to do, like to share our faith, to give to the poor, to be just and righteous, and on and on and on. We know, okay, here's, here's, a, here's a rule, here's a law, and we should do it. And then there's plenty of other things where God says, be wise. Don't be naive. Now, if your wisdom ever contradicts God's word, then it's not wise. Okay, that's worldly wisdom. But we're talking about living for God. There's some times where God's not going to write it in the sky. And it's not necessarily written in a certain verse you can look up. And so you pray and you say, God, I don't know how to handle this. But I need your help. Because I'm under attack. You give to God what only he can do. And then you do what you can do. You do what is the responsible, the wise, the prudent thing to do. And I don't know about you, but if I know that I'm coming under attack, I'm going to put up a defense, right? The Bible in Proverbs says that the naive, the simple, see trouble coming and they do not act. But the prudent make shelter. See, sometimes people think, you know, I, I am, uh, I trust God and that's it. Let me close with this story. I grew up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and we dealt with hurricanes all the time. And my pastor used to tell a story about a guy who, uh, it, the waters were coming up. And they went by his house in the car. They said, hey, jump in. We're going to get you out of here. We're going to evacuate. He said, no, no, no. God's got this. So later on, the waters are rising higher, and the guy comes by in a boat. Hey, we're here to rescue you. Jump in the boat. And he says, no, no, no. God's got this. Finally, he's on the roof of his house. A helicopter comes by with a rope ladder hanging down. Hey, we're here to save you. God's got this. I'm good. Of course, he doesn't make it. He enters the gates of heaven. He's so happy to see the Lord. He says, God, I don't understand. Why didn't you save me? He said, I sent you three people, dummy. Now, I don't know that God calls anybody dummy. I hope not. But uh, that little made-up story just reminds us that God has given us faith. To follow him and trust him. But he's given us a brain. He's given us his word. That teaches wisdom and his principles. And that using wisdom. As long as it's not. Quote unquote worldly wisdom. And again what is that? Anything that goes against this. His principles. But using the wisdom God has given you. We have to be faithful. And we have to act in faith. These people back then, they could have sat there and said, oh, it's okay. We've lived here. We've rebuilt our temple. Gaps in the wall. And maybe they'd been all right. And let's bring it down today. If you were to post a sign, let's just say I did it on, right over here on the pastorum. Let's just say that um, I posted a sign. And on this sign, I had one sign, and it said, lots of stuff you can sell for cash. And then the next sign was, I don't lock my doors at night. And then the next sign was, I don't have a gun. I don't have a baseball bat. I have nothing. And then the next sign was, 
I sleep really soundly. I don't hear a thing. You know, and, and if I posted all that stuff out there, <laughs> I might have been fine. But I kind of think it'd be probable I'd end up in trouble. And these folks who God had blessed them to come back and to rebuild the temple, they said, hey, we, we need to rebuild the wall as well. Yes, God's blessed us. But we're not going to, be, to arrogantly say we don't have to act. We don't have to do. We're going to trust God. And then we're going to act with wisdom. And with those things, we're going to honor him. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I just come to you and I thank you. Father, that you, um, you bless us. Lord, you, you draw us to yourself. And so that many of us here today or many of us who are listening online, Lord, at some point uh, we responded to you in faith. We accepted your invitation to believe upon your son, Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for us with his death and burial. And Lord, that he was resurrected, that today, Father, through him, you offer the gift of eternal life to all those who believe in you. I'm so thankful for that, God. And I'm thankful also that even though you could do every bit of your kingdom work by yourself, you don't need us, but Father, you choose to include us. Not only do we get the privilege of believing in you, we, we get the privilege of doing your work as we follow you. And God, I pray if there's anybody today who's, Lord, they're struggling with what they, um, what they believe. I pray that you draw them closer. Lord, allow them to taste and see how good you are. But Father, if there's others of us, Father, that are under attack, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you. Lord, through the lies, the discouragement, whatever they're facing. And Father, they would lift these things up to you and that you'd fill them with peace. Father, those of us who've been stopped in our tracks by fear or discouragement, Lord, we, we pray that you would revive us, that you would help us to act in faithfulness, to stand firm on your word. And Lord, I pray that... Um, God, when the right thing involves not only believing, but living out what we believe, doing what you've called us to do, Lord, that we would never slander or misuse the precious privilege of prayer. Father, that we would never use prayer as an excuse to disobey you, but Father, we would not only pray about it, but we do something about it. Whatever it is we face, when you call us, may we have the courage of conviction. May we have the faith in you to both believe and to do what is right. Bless this time we have now to respond to you, to ask for forgiveness where we fail. Father, to ask for your strength and encouragement or wisdom where we need it. We pray 
all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we sing this next song, think about where you are in your life. Think about those around you and what they're facing. Maybe you need to look back at what God has done, not only throughout history and his word, but in your life and and take encouragement. Maybe there's something you thought was too big or too small, and so you haven't told Jesus. You've told everybody else, but you haven't told him. Maybe you haven't told anyone, including him, and you need to trust him enough to do that and to reach out. And maybe you've been paralyzed because of the wounds, of the scars you've taken as this world has has beaten on you a good bit. And there's time for healing. There's time for restoration. But there's also a time to get back in the saddle when life has thrown us off and to get back to doing what God's called us to do. So maybe you need to ask God to help you to say, I'm ready. It's going to be hard. But God, even though that person hurt me, even though this didn't work out, that's past, and I'm going to obey you today. You do business with God, whatever he's calling you to do. If you need prayer, you have a public decision, I would love to talk to you. Would you stand, respond as the Lord leads.